call Sarah K. Calling Sarah K. Mooney. Hey, Joseph. Hello, hello. It is 8.53 p.m. on Wednesday. I like to give people some sense of when we're doing these. So it is, uh, I'm feeling pretty chill. Are you feeling chill? Feeling chill. My clock's a little um, slower than yours, though. Oh, okay. This has happened. Yeah, I I was looking at my computer, and it says 8.53, and on my uh, phone it says 8.48. So I have no idea how that's even possible. (laughs) Because outside of my stove, I don't change the clock on anything. Yeah, computers, it feels like it should be automatic, but... <laughs> Very strange. Um, how How has today been? Pretty good day. The weather was definitely a pick-me-up, so I I was able to work outside a little bit, um, get some vitamin D. I was talking to, uh, to Amy Cheek earlier, who's going to be in the next episode, and I told her, like, this is a super roundabout dumb thing to bring up right now but i yesterday i saw a turtle sitting on a creek side uh like basking in the sun and i had this realization that like (laughs) sounds like i'm smoking pot but i was like uh like i too am a creature on earth in the same way the turtle is and uh and like i told her i'm almost embarrassed to talk about how affected and like how much better I feel when we have this like four or five days of weather like we've had because (laughs) I had lunch today, had some caffeine in me. It was 75 degrees. And I was just like, is everything right in the world right now? Cause it feels like it is. Yeah. I, yeah. I had that same moment um, after I dropped the kids off and was just like, the sun felt so good. And I was like, I'm just going to sit here on the deck for, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> far longer than I like, you know, ordinarily would have. That's yeah. my, uh, that's my link back to the turtle. That's the point of that is to say, we are all just like creatures that are, are moved and like, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're more of a collection of impulses and like our physicality than we think we are. I think. Of course. Of course. Um, well, I'm, I'm excited to get into this. I, I read, your reflection on the poem and the poem about an hour ago for the first time. So I'm still mm-hmm. reeling um, from that in a good way. Like it was uh, one, it was a really great poem and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of depth there, but I guess to start off with um, poetry, because I'm, I'm not assuming that everyone listening to this has listened to the other episode we did together, but poetry for you has become like a central thing. So can you give people briefly kind of like your relationship with poetry? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up a big and avid reader and was in my childhood and into my kind of young adulthood, um, always drawn to mostly fiction um, and definitely not poetry. I was an English major in college, but never like purposefully avoided any sort of poetry class. Like I just thought poetry was pretentious. I thought, you know, it just, I just had a hard time understanding a lot of the poems that I was, you know, had to study in school, um, was never like into Shakespeare, you know, I just, 
it just didn't do it for me. Um, Same, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true of a lot of people. And it's a matter of like finding the right poet. At least it was for me. Um, Yeah, it's hard to like poetry broadly. We may have talked about this last time, but it would mm -hmm. be like saying, I like music. No, you might. You might be able to say that, but what you really mean is you like specific kinds of music. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm more drawn to contemporary poetry, certainly. Um, Like the, you know, old British stuff doesn't, I I can't really, I struggle with those. Right. You know, Blythe and Shelley and and Keats and all that. Yeah. so, yeah, I think it was a turning point for me. There's kind of two. One, I heard, um, he's now deceased, but a professor emeritus, Anthony Abbott, who's a Pulitzer Prize nominated poet, um, gave a reading when I was in college. And I just, I was kind of hooked. Like, And he shared about his journey into poetry, and it was really the death of his four-year-old daughter that drew him into it um, mm. just as a way to process the grief and he had been kind of resistant to poetry as well prior to that and hearing him share and and he was a spiritual man and would work out you could see him sort of wrestling through themes around faith and scripture in his work and it just I just found his work really accessible and really beautiful and so started reading more of him. And then when I graduated from college, my um, priest and good friend gifted me with a collection of Mary Oliver poems. And, you know, I'd read some of her stuff before and, and liked what I'd read, but actually like read this, you know, cover to cover. So kind of hundreds of poems of hers and really loved that. And so that was sort of the, the entryway into that. And I think just going through hard things in life, similar to that professor, I've, you know, experiencing grief firsthand in, in newer, deeper ways as an adult, I was something resonated a little more deeply than just like, you know, an escapist novel. Um, I think that's probably my experience too, is that I didn't have eyes to see, ears to hear, whatever, um, what was being spoken of in poetry. Like life was not ambiguous. It was very clear. You know, there were mm-hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of rules and things operated in neat ways, tidy ways, um, mm-hmm. but pulled into like the realness of life, into the ambiguity, into the like real pain of the world, pain in in yourself, existential crises, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's when it started to speak to me, of course. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's, a sense of oftentimes, not in every poem, but oftentimes a sense of sort of mystery where it can be interpreted many different ways. And as you read a poem, you might glean something different. And I like that there's not always that sort of one right answer. Um, like you said, not not always tidy. Um, yeah, and that speaks to the pretension that ca- kind of kept you away from poetry mm-hmm. is that that there is, as if there is one singular meaning the way that Sarah uh, Council uh, introduced her her dance video last week um, when she said, come into this with no expectations. No, There's no one meaning that I'm trying to get into you. I'm, 
I am giving you this piece of art and you make of it what you will. I think that's the, like, that's the beauty in like real art is that it is totally up to the viewer of it. So. Yeah, no, a lot of similarities there for sure. So you are partially to blame for this whole series that we're doing for Lent. Um, and I guess not partially, but fully, cause you brought the idea to me, um, I guess a couple of months ago said, what if we did something? And it's, it's basically what we're doing exactly right now. Um, which has been really fruitful and really cool. Um, but if, if this is the first episode that somebody's heard of this or they, you know, they don't have any context, we're exploring different pieces of art and kind of, uh, exploring the themes of Lent through the art and, uh, and through the people that create it. Um, and so Sarah Kay has brought a poem for Mary Oliver today and, uh, and then some thoughts after that. Um, but I just wanted to at least say this at some point in the episode. Thank you for the idea because without, uh, without you having it, I don't know that we would have ever stumbled into this. Well, yeah, of course. Thanks for, for executing. <laughs> Is that nice for you to, to have an idea and then not have to do everything for it? It's amazing. <laughs> it's truly, I love it. <laughs> um, but so we share a deep love for Mary Oliver. I'm super excited that you picked her. I know you, uh, that I probably had something to do with that since we, we both share love for her. Um, but why don't you go ahead and read it and then we'll get into some of the reflections on it and how it relates to Lent. Great. Uh, this poem comes from Devotions, which is her most recent collection published in 2017. The poem is called Logos. Why worry about the loaves and fishes? If you say the right words, the wine expands. If you say them with love and the felt ferocity of that love and the felt necessity of that love, the fish explode into many. Imagine him speaking and don't worry about what is reality or what is plain or what is mysterious. If you were there, it was all those things. If you can imagine it, it is all those things. Eat, drink, be happy. Accept the miracle. Accept, too, each spoken word, spoken with love. So good. Um, so, I... There's this thing that Mary Oliver does where, and the thing that I love about her probably the most, is that she just uses simple, ordinary language. It's unadorned. It's not trying to be pretty. It's very much earthy and, um, you know, using familiar kinds of words and ideas and things. But she does it in such a profound way. This is such a gorgeous poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does. Earthy's a great word for for her. Um yeah, I, I think I was drawn to this poem. I mean, you shared the theme with me in the passage. So belief and and John 3, um, which is a passage where Nicodemus come visit, comes in the night to visit Jesus and ask him some questions. Um, 
And I'll be honest, at first when you sent me that one, I was like, oh, man, <laughs> it just wasn't, you know, it's a passage of scripture where a lot of um, terms and verses are just so overused. They've become, and, you know, and I carry a lot of baggage, et cetera, but a bit trite. So like John 3.16 was in there. And, and of course, the phrase like being born again. Um, and so I just, yeah, it, it took me a while to kind of land on a poem. Um, but this is one that I, that I had read back when I read devotions, when it came out and, um, sort of tucked it away. Cause I, I really did love it. Um, and I, I keep sort of a running document of just of poems that I like and I read and, you know, might want to share down the road with people. Um, and so I was just sort of skimming through that and this one popped immediately. I was like, oh yeah, this is all about belief, uh-huh. but also about so much more and it, it got me thinking a lot about the relationship between belief and love between you know love and miracles um and yeah there's i think there's a lot a lot to unpack and a lot um that you know kind of ties back to john three in a cool way as well um yeah when i when i read your reflection that we'll send out um we'll send out an email with uh in in conjunction with the with the podcast episode i think uh all of it was really resonant for me i thought that um there's something about the poem that pulls you into like that's such a specific and such a perfect example with the the feeding of the five thousand um Mm -hmm. it's like instead of and I can't remember what the, I think it's Ignatian spirituality or something like that. Instead of thinking about it theoretically, thinking about it theologically, what, is, what does it mean for the fishes to, to multiply? And what does it say about Jesus's ministry? And um, not looking at it from an apologetic standpoint, did it actually happen? And how did it happen? And, you know, what, what, what were the mechanics of the miracle and all that kind of thing? Um, but instead put us there as a, as a person uh, that the food was being brought to, you know? Mm -hmm. And so instead of trying to analyze it, instead of uh, trying to figure out what it means, big picture, um, I don't know. It just brought, brought a different kind of awareness to it that I, I don't know that I'd really uh, fully immerse myself in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, a similar point, I, I love how she opens it too with telling the reader not to worry like why worry why worry about the loaves and fishes like why even you know spend the mental energy trying to figure out how they got there like if you do that you're going to miss the feast and I think that's one of the the really beautiful things like again similar to your point we're not we're not invited to this you know okay here's like we're going to engage in this debate on um, apologetics, or we're not going to, you know, go through kind of five point Calvinism and like really try and get our theology right. And instead it's like, no, no, just like here, pull up a seat. Here's, here's some great food and, um, here's some wine. And like, this is, you know, an experience. And if you worry, you might miss it. Like if you're so busy worrying about how it got there, how it happened, you really, you might miss the whole the whole feast in general. I think it's, I think it's so true. Um, 
zoomed out as well, just of our experience of life. If, if all you're ever doing is analyzing things and trying to figure out what they mean for you, big picture and what I, I think, I think it was Merton and I, I, I think I sent it out to the church early on. Um, but that he says we have to be uh, content to live without watching ourselves live. Um, mm-hmm. That, And I think about it a lot because I am so cerebral, and I don't mean that in terms of being smart. I just mean I'm in my head, and I am trying to figure out what things mean, and I am somebody that wants to, you know, I am a cynic, and I am all these things. But that just just pulls me into the moment of like, don't, like, just be in the backyard with your kids right now. Mm-hmm. You don't have to zoom out and watch this happening and try to analyze it and try to think about what it means and how you're going to think about this in 30 years when they're grown. Like just be a person that can experience a moment, you know? And I guess, yeah. I guess with the bread and the wine, the, the thought that immediately comes to me is how much this lines up with my experience of communion. It's mm-hmm. like, that's that's what we're offering people each week. It's not, um, it's not a systematic theology. It's not a uh, you know we're not we're not trying to get you to sign on the dotted line. We're not giving you the full theological ramifications of of what's happening at the table every week. It's just like there's bread and wine and family and friends. Like come to the table, you know. I, mm-hmm. That to me just that spoke volumes, and I think it's uh, something that's really desperately needed. Um, across the board for us right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, just to pull in the the passage you um, teed me up to look at, you know, that's where Nicodemus comes in and he's very much in his head. And yeah. How can somebody be born again? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and that's when, when Jesus says that and he's like, but I can't go back to my mom's womb. Mm -hmm. Like, and he's so literal um, and then, of course, Jesus is like, no, no. And he goes into this very poetic description about the spirit, which is like the wind and it blows where it pleases. And so it's like, you know, it's again, it's he's using Christ is using metaphors. And Nicodemus is really in my like the way I, I read the passage. And I'm, of course, reading it because I identify with him reading it this way because of yeah my own sort of experience and I'm like you kind of always over analyzing like Nicodemus is coming wanting seemingly wanting answers and sort of like facts and figures and and Jesus is like very <laughs> poetic and like no the wind blows where it pleases and um he's not getting you know the kind of diagrams and and graphs and charts that he might be craving like that certainty yeah um and what, of course, what Jesus offers is much more beautiful, much more alive and robust than what Nicodemus thinks he wants or needs. Um, I think it's Rohr that says that literal, like literalism is the lowest form of truth or something like that. Like mm-hmm. that kind of like scientific sort of, it's, it's, not a, it's not a rejection of science. It just says that this is something that's beyond that category, you know. You can try to yep. explain you can try to explain holding your child when they're born from a scientific standpoint, you know, evolutionarily sort of what it what it's meaning to you and why it is and it's because you're supposed to nurture this thing. But that moment is something far deeper than just 
what science can offer, you know, that kind of, of a conversation. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I shared a, did, well, I don't want to cut you off. What were you about to say? No, I, yeah, that, 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 you know, you can't, you can't adequately summarize that, um, in any sort of scientific way. There's so much involving your emotion, your spirit, um, in that type of, you know, moment and encounter. Yeah. I, I shared a, I shared an article today that, um, got posted in the New York times. Can't remember the girl's name that wrote it. Um, but she basically talks about how she was sort of a devotee of, um, I, she sort of likens Instagram influencers, but not, you know, not like TikTok influencers, but like Brene Brown or Glennon Doyle. She links um, those kinds of internet figures, not them personally, but kind of who mm-hmm. they are and what their platform is online to some kind of uh, like modern um, televangelist kind of thing. And she yeah. says, she says that she, she followed them and sort of, had a spirituality that was an amalgamation of like uh, left-leaning politics, um, Glennon Doyle's kind of uh, her whole thing, like this like pseudo new wellness dieting thing packaged as self-care and wellness. Um, And like basically in the pandemic hit a breaking point with that and was Mm -hmm. like, I, I need something deeper. I need something Mm -hmm. that, that that doesn't just scratch every itch that I I think that I like have in a in a given day, but but helps me wrestle with the existential questions of like why are we here, what are we doing, all those sorts of things. And it wasn't it didn't end in her saying like and so I ran down the sawdust aisle and gave my life to the Lord. It wasn't anything like that. It was just like I she said I, I think the only thing that she links to church was saying maybe we do need these ancient churches or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and maybe we do need something that's deeper than this kind of commercialization around self care. And that sort of preys on um, what she says her, in her words, like women who are unhealthy or, or fear uh, that have fear and that sort of thing. And she's, I mean, she's not like just blasting somebody like Brene Brown, of course, but it was sort of her experience of leaving that, or finding that inadequate and trying to find something else. And a friend of mine commented on the on the post that I made um, and was saying uh, she sort of left uh, church world, um, had had left faith um, in the sense of of not you know not finding belief in God or higher power um, useful. And and I grew up with her. I knew you know I know the kind of like soup. We went to a super fundamentalist christian school together um so i know what she's rejecting and uh and then she goes on to say that uh during the pandemic she really felt herself wanting a place to sing and weep she said um Mm -hmm. and how she wasn't able to find you know a kind of non uh belief-based place to do that um but it just all of it reminds me and you know she she says like I I don't find belief in God to be useful but I want to enjoy my life I want to um I want to address 
issues of justice. I want to, um, you know, I want to love my kids. I want to experience life. I want to blah, blah, blah. She goes into all this and it's basically none of it is not only is it not oppositional to faith, it is like a perfect kind of summation of what the life of faith is just without a few of the words. And so mm. I don't know, I know it's a long rambling thing, but the, I think the point of it is that there is such a longing to get out of the heady kind of real dogmatic versions of faith that we've been given and into this sort of earthy um, other space where mm-hmm. we can accept the bread and wine and hear the voices singing and weeping together and the communities of people that care about each other. Like, I, I don't know. There's just something in me today that has been unlocked that's like, it's useful and not only is it useful it's needed right now big time absolutely yeah and i think that's where i mean to draw back to john three like again nicodemus is so in his head and jesus just keeps pointing him to the spirit which is such a difficult term to understand but i think that's why i also love this poem is because when you look at some of the the words that mary oliver uses it's like suggesting that this is all stuff that can't be contained. And if you grow up in a, in a faith that's kind of, you know, handed down to you, that's saying like, you know, and and I've seen this a lot um, in the Christian tradition of like being obsessed with like, we've got like the corner market on the truth and we know all the right answers and we are just like obsessed with orthodoxy, you know, whatever that means. Our own brand of orthodoxy. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, and we, you know, we can explain everything and we can go to all the apologetics conferences, and, <laughs> you know, battle anyone, um, any sort of wits, you know, battle and um, like, you know, just have an answer for everything. And and what she's saying in her poem, she says, the wine expands, the fish explode. Like it's, it's suggesting that these things literally cannot be contained. And that's why I also love the title, which is Logos. And that, of course, comes from, <clears throat> excuse me, from John 1, where John says, you know, in the beginning was, it's often translated as the word, um, coming from the, like that word being Greek of logos but greek you know the 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 actual greek for that like for logos is a million different terms like it it doesn't just mean word it can mean reason or discourse expectation can mean opinion i mean so many different things and Mm -hmm. again that's like why john using that term is so brilliant because he's basically saying like like Jesus cannot be contained. Like he can't be defined. You can't just kind of like, in other words, you can't grasp a full understanding of him with the human mind. Um, and I think that that, you know, that perhaps is what that article was getting at too. Like I, it sound, and I read it as well. And the author, it sounds like is really craving something that has a spiritual depth that some of these, you know, speakers and and leaders can't offer beyond like by my book right um yeah which, and i think which is not to to say that you know 
nothing that they say has value, of course. It's just there is yeah. a whole brand uh, online that that is, you know, is trying to be a kind of replacement spirituality, a kind of makeshift version of it, but it doesn't have some of the the things that are key to that, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I, I would agree. Um, and they're also trying to sell something too, <laughs> which is important to yeah. be mindful of. For sure. Um, not that some, you know, churches and, and pastors aren't as well, but um, oh, oh. neighborhood being an exception, <laughs> thankfully. I hope so. Um, yeah. 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 But yeah, I just, I love that about the poem of just how um, it's this kind of really like, again, looking at some of the specific words used, it's really like, like the ferocity of the love, you know, it's almost this like untamed force that as much as we try to put God into a box and kind of summarize him down to like a, a pithy little, um, you know, phrase or saying or bumper sticker, like it, it, we just, we can't, we really can't. And so what we're left with is, you know, we're just saying, told like, quit trying to do that. Just sit down, eat, drink, be happy and accept the miracle and accept the love that comes with the miracle. It's really, really good. I, I, um, I want to just, since we're talking about it so much, I want to read, um, I want to read the poem one more time and then, um, and then we'll, we'll close it out in a minute. But I, I, I think that it would be after we've talked about it so much, I found myself thinking, I want to, it's just a few lines. I want to read it again, just so that folks can have a, another frame of reference for it. That's great. You want me to do it or you want to do it? Um, I'll do it. Great. Why worry about the loaves and fishes? If you say the right words, the wine expands. If you say them with love and the felt ferocity of that love and the felt necessity of that love, the fish explode into many. Imagine him speaking. And don't worry about what is reality or what is plain or what is mysterious. If you were there, it was all those things. If you can imagine it, it is all those things. Eat, drink, be happy. Accept the miracle. Accept to each spoken word, spoken with love. So stinking beautiful. Good Lord. Yeah, there's a lot packed in there. I, yeah, I also love the piece, um, like the invitation to engage our imaginations too. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the word that popped here and you read it. Imagine him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That line, if you can imagine it, it is all those things. (laughs) So there's this like engagement of the imagination, I think is really beautiful. Yeah, I I do think that we would do well to get out of our heads. (laughs) I know we've been talking around that, but like, um, especially in light of, we've mentioned apologetics a couple of times, especially in light of Ravi Zacharias' stuff that's come out since his death, you know, there's nobody that exemplifies, you know, that apologetics world more than him. Mm-hmm. And behind the scenes, his life was a nightmare. He was, you know, perpetuating and uh, and doing heinous things to people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and, and not just, 
not just doing them, but then hiding them and continuing in them and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and trying to protect himself and who it's just, it, um, it doesn't mean that apologetics is worthless, you know, although it doesn't really resonate much with me anymore. Um, but it does mean that that alone means very little to like what it means to be alive and a person who eats and drinks and, uh, has a physical existence and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and is in relationship, like real relationships with people. And so if it, if it only stays at that sort of rational level, it is so limited in the scope of what it can do. Yeah. You, yeah, you have to engage the spirit. I, and I think in that case, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. Cause that actually is very, I was like, do we go there? I don't know. Joseph <laughs> can bring it up, but here we are. Um, yeah. What do you do? Like, I mean, in, in through the lens of sort of the Instagram article, like what do you do when the apologist, like the person with all the answers, like is actually perpetuating evil? Like what is, you know, well, what does that mean? Go, go in the other direction, just so that we cut in every direction. Like the stuff that came out about Jean Vanier, who's this gorgeous, brilliant, um, tender, wonderful person seemingly that after his death, his community that he founded that helped special needs um, people all over the world comes out with uh, a report that he was had some skeletons in the closet. And yeah. Chris Hewarts, who wrote the Enneagram book, um, mm-hmm. allegations come out about him. And so I guess, I guess the thing that it, it points to is like, whatever isn't lived is worthless. You know, mm-hmm. like, if, if all the apologetics and all the esoteric mystical Christianity that you read and every idea you have about God doesn't work its way into your life, then it is worth nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think it's also, um, I don't know. Yeah. You, you could rattle off any number of names, even just in the last you know, two or three years and, um, uh, yeah, not, not to take this in a totally different, like down a totally different trail, but I, yeah, I also just think the concept of Christian celebrity is also a bit of a red flag and, and perhaps problematic. And I, you know, I hate to say I've been like hardened to the point where, you know, you, you hear the news about Ravi Zacharias and it's like, well, I'm like, I can't say I'm too, too surprised. Like, yeah. I guess if somebody said, you know, Fred Rogers had some, some skeletons, like that actually might shock me. But how dare at this you? Point, there are, yeah. I mean, <laughs> please, Lord, no. <laughs> like, there would be, um, you'd be hard pressed not to bring up another, you know, kind of well known Christian leader and, and not, you know, get me shocked by it at this point. Yeah. I know, not the point of this conversation. <laughs> Yeah, I um I I was having lunch with Luke Harmer who's uh he goes to our church but moved here during the pandemic so uh has not actually gone to our church. Mm-hmm. Um he's an orthopedic surgeon. He was kind of talking about um himself and we were talking about kind of what he does and um he just <laughs> over and over again kept saying like I like insisting what I do is not all that special. Um and it is. But I understood what he was doing. What he was doing is saying, 
uh, and we talked about this, that people other him, you know, they try to put him on a pedestal because mm-hmm. he holds something that is, he has titles. He's the chief of surgery at, you know, whatever. He started this whole um, unit up in Concord and people are under him and whatever. And so his insistence that my job isn't special is sort of a, a way for him to like not think of himself too highly and to like mm-hmm. reiterate that, uh, or to like, uh, to emphasize I'm, he's like, I, I'm, I'm no different than a mechanic. I just work on bodies and it's not, it's not false humility that he's saying. I think he really believes that. And yep. I told him my, my version of that is, and I probably in the same way, he probably goes too far with it. I probably go too far with it where I say in as many times as I can, I'm no one's leader. I'm no one's guru. I'm no one's, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm a peer of, of the people that are in our church. We have mutuality. I hold a position that is uh, specific, but is not above or over anything. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I do think that, uh, you know, I know that we've, we've sort of rambled to this point to get to this point, but I do think it's important to note that like that whole celebrity thing is both um, a product of the people who are under the celebrities and the celebrities themselves. And it's, it, it goes both directions. I think we talked about it um, in the podcast with Logan last week, where we love to have celebrities. We love to prop people up. It's, it's Mm -hmm. what humanity likes to do. Um, But yeah, it's, it's deeply unhealthy, both for both people in the equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and not to force, force it back to the passage, but it's making me think about Nicodemus as a character too. And, you know, he was, we don't know a whole lot about him, but uh, a a well-known sort of leader in the community of Pharisee. And after this encounter, um, with Jesus, which he, you know, he comes in the night, like very, it says like it's late at night and it's very sort of secretive encounter. He's obviously feeling self-conscious about his curiosity of Jesus, but, but still curious enough to, to seek him out. And then you see him again, a couple chapters later, and he's, his, his, the other, his fellow Pharisees are talking about wanting to kill Jesus. And Nicodemus kind of pipes up very, very weakly, but it's like, well, maybe we should give him a hearing. Like maybe we should give him a trial so we can get kind of the full, the full story. Um, but certainly not like a wholehearted defense of, of Jesus or anything by that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you see him by the end where he is lugging 75 pounds worth of burial oils and spices um, to make sure that Jesus gets a proper burial. And so you like, he's sort of in the night and then he's with, you know, in the temple with these other Pharisees, like, you know, high, high status people. And then like, lastly, he's doing this very like humble act um, where he is literally like dragging this super heavy thing to bury a dead body, which, you know, I'd be curious to delve into sort of the, the customs of that. Was that a Pharisee, something typically a Pharisee would do? You know, I, I don't actually know. Um, but it is this like the way it's phrased. There's, there's this kind of humility of him, like pulling that along um, just to make sure, you know, Jesus gets a proper burial. And so I like sort of the, 
the um, visuals of his progression, even though it's these real short snippets and you don't hear a lot from him directly, you kind of see him, um, yeah, being brought down to the ground. And so like what you were describing is just thinking like, you have to stay grounded, like you have to. And I think that's also, again, the goes back to the appeal of Mary Oliver. Like it's that earthiness where it's like, you can't um, get too far in your head. You have to kind of stay with the elements, like just be present with the fish, with the wine, with the, with the bread. Um, like that's how Christ often, so often reveals himself. And I think in my reflection, I included a quote from Nadia Boltz Weber, where she talks about how like, this is, you know, this is, you, you can't really even get started with Christianity without a river, some bread and a jug of wine. Like it's all material. It's not just spiritual and intellectual. Like it really is just these, yeah, kind of basic everyday acts. And if we get too far, you know, position ourselves too far above it, we miss, we miss the elements, we miss the feast and, and then, and terrible things can happen when, yeah. when we're not grounded and, and in community. So that might've been a bit of a stretch, but that's sort of where a glimpse into where my mind was working when you were talking. No, very, very masterfully brought us back on track. Um, and I think that's a, I think it's a good kind of place for us to land. I, I love the character arc of that. I love that part of your email. Um, and I think it's important for us to recognize that we are kind of in a progression of our own, like we are in our own narrative arc. Like we, mm. we are, um, you know, I know I talked earlier about not like being content to live without watching ourselves live, but I do think it's helpful at times to zoom out enough to see that you are in a, you know, there is a trajectory to your life and you are growing, um, and have opportunities to change and you aren't stuck in static. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, all, all of the born again stuff is, uh, is not just a, is not just a one-time kind of a situation. I'm not saying that you, yeah. uh, you know, if you frame it in terms of heaven and hell, you're like, well, you've already been saved brother. But I, I think we constantly need to be born again and again and again yeah. and again and again. And, and that, that is the, you know, that's the thing that happens for the rest of our lives. And we have to, die to ourselves and we have to be humiliated and realize we aren't, aren't as cool as we thought we were. And we aren't as special or holy as we thought we were. And then you, um, you know, you, you have an opportunity to grow again and to, um, you know, turn the dial or whatever. So, um, yeah, this has been really good and I really appreciate, um, your reflection. Um, also your choice of this poem. And then, uh, just of course, more than that, sort of who you are and what you represent to, to neighborhood and to uh, I'm sure the other communities that you're a part of, but um, thank you for doing this. And it was uh, really important, really special. Thanks for having me. I'm, I, there are a few things I love more than share poetry, share my love of poetry with other people. So I appreciate the opportunity. I thought you were just going to stop on share. <laughs> There's very few things I love more than share. <laughs> uh yeah. like c-u-g-r no <laughs> yeah <laughs> shared okay um yeah. all right well uh it is now 
according to my phone, 932. According to my uh, my computer, it's 938. So regardless, um, we can uh, we can go wind down and and uh, get ready for bed and all that stuff. But thank you so much for doing this, and um, we'll talk soon. Thanks. All Bye. right. See ya.